Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke. Well, this time on my Radio Greats, I'm delighted to be joined by someone who has been a national treasure on the radios, both locally and nationally, working on several well-known stations, including Southern Sound, uh, Radio Mercury, Metro Capital, uh, Virgin Smooth and Nation, just to name a few. And uh, I look forward to be learning a bit more about his extraordinary life on the radio. Before that, Russ Williams, how do I find you today? You find me very well, Luke. And how do I find you, more importantly? Because you're the gentleman who puts uh, this great podcast together. Oh, well, you find me actually um, very very well, thanks. Good. Well, if you hear some barking, it's a very uh, energetic female Staffordshire bull terrier that lives in my house with me. So, Russ, 40 years in the radio business, how was it you got the radio bug? Oh, I can tell you exactly. I was living in Lancashire. I was born in Lytham St. Tans. And um, somebody, when I was about six or seven years old, put a, gave me a little one of these little plastic transistor radios. And I thought, oh, this is good. And I started playing with it. And I heard Beatles records come out of it. And Pete Murray on the uh, light program. And I used to take it to bed with me and have it under the covers and uh, used to listen to Radio Caroline North. Um, you know, we're going back, obviously, quite a few years. And the whole magic of radio came to me under the duvet. And I had all these wonderful images of people having great fun and playing brilliant music and what a glamorous job it was. And so I thought to myself, uh, probably naively, wow, this is the job for me. And really, from that moment, I decided that I wanted to work on the radio and thank the Lord, I did. And um, am I right in thinking your first radio gig was with Seven Sounds in Brighton? Yes, I did hospital radio, like a lot of your guests when I've listened to the podcast, very good they are too. Like them, I did that. I started when I was 11 and they used to let me sort of hang around in the record library and uh, eventually they said you can go up and get some requests from the wards. Uh, And then somebody said, well, you can have your own show. And then I did more and more and more. I recorded a demo tape, uh, but not a music show. I recorded... Uh, me presenting news features. And um, what I did was I recorded it on quarter-inch reel-to-reel tape and I sent it to Southern Sound, Rory McLeod and Keith Belcher because they were advertising for a sort of uh, trainee. And so I sent it off and I never thought anything more of it. And I was hopeful, but I I didn't think I'd hear a, a word. And a letter arrived on headed notepaper. I thought, good grief, what's this? And it said, um, listen to your tape, um, really enjoyed it. I think you show a lot of promise. Can you come and have a meeting? So off I went to Portslade to the converted bakery in what was to become my place of work pretty much seven days a week for the next three or four years. Had the interview, got the job as a sort of man Friday did the traffic news on the drive time show and did the weekend breakfast show. And uh, that was six to 10 Saturday and Sunday and eventually graduated to 
mid-mornings, but I had the time of my life there, unbelievable times, and I couldn't believe it. I, I was there, there I was working on the radio. They also sent me before launch to the National Broadcasting School in Soho. It no longer exists. Michael Bucked, a radio great, was the principal. Neil Spence, no longer with us, was the head of the programming course. And uh, they knocked me into shape. And I learned an awful lot. And I had a wonderful time in Brighton. A lot of happy memories. Well, I, I have to ask, um, when you started at Southern Sound, can you remember your first show? Oh, yes. Uh, 6.30 in the morning. And uh, in those glamorous days, the first person into the building had to switch the transmitter on. And so you had to switch the transmitter on and then wait for the clock to hit 6.30. Then you fire the jingle and then your first record, and all the music pretty much was on carts, uh, which were big sort of tapes, and you put them in the cart machine and you play them. And I thought, well, this is really weird, but they thought for some reason it, it would say wear and tear on vinyl. I, I didn't quite get it, but I went along with it, obviously. Uh, and the first record I played ever on professional radio was Dinah Ross and Touch Me in the Morning. Very, very good uh, start to the day, I should say, with that record. And um, with, with, with the time at Seven Sound, what were your highlights? Well, um, there was lots of good, fun times. So we were near the beach and we would go out and take the outside broadcast truck and um, meet the listeners. And uh, it, it was it was really the process of, of learning the art of radio from experienced people like Stuart McIntosh, Tommy Boyd, Louis Robinson at the time, that I really lapped up because I wanted to learn and I wanted to try and get better and better and better because in those days, you literally started on a small station, you went to a slightly bigger one, then you might be lucky and go to a bigger one, a big city one, and then if you were really lucky, you would end up at Capital or Radio One or something like that. Apart from the good memories, the, the one memory that really, I think, shaped me um, for my love of news and current affairs, uh, which later went into sport, uh, was I went to bed one night, I think it was October 1984. Anyway, I'd, I'd only been there literally maybe a few months less than a year. And at three o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on the door. I lived in Diggs and um, it was Rory McLeod. Uh, my landlady said, uh, Ross, you better come down. Rory McLeod is downstairs for you. And there was Rory in his pajamas, slippers and a, a raincoat over the top. And he said to me, uh, get dressed, cock. He used to call me cock. Hello, cock, he used to say. I said, what, what's going on? He said, you're going on the air. They've just bombed the Grand Hotel in Brighton, the IRA, and they've tried to kill Margaret Thatcher, and it's going to be very busy. I can't get the breakfast show DJ out of bed. You're on. And I was 21, and in a four-and-a-half-hour show, I played one record. Uh, the rest was news, rolling reports, interviews, so it was real sort of learning on my feet, but I had a passion for it anyway. 
Uh, but that happened to me, and that was sort of one of the, the the first real sort of event milestone in in my career. The experience that I had at Southern with Rory and the rest of the team uh, was invaluable, and it set me up beautifully for the rest of my career. Well, mentioning working in Brighton and how it uh, started the road to um, radio and um, you were then approached by Radio Mercury. Yes. Um, Radio Mercury was a sort of rival, but it wasn't. The bosses were very friendly and we were just beginning to move into that area of consolidation in, in commercial radio. And there was talks about mergers and what have you. And uh, the guy, John, who ran Radio Mercury, um, used to be not a fan. He thought I was good. And so him and Andrew Marshall said, look, why don't we do a chart show on a Sunday afternoon that can go out on Southern and Radio Mercury, the heart of the South, as they used to call it. And I was picked to do it. So that was the only work that I did for Radio Mercury, but that that was the first time I'd, I'd kind of been given a little bit of recognition that you might be all right at this job, maybe. Well, you you mentioned you were doing the Sunday chart show there, and I because yeah. I, in nowadays, when we think of chart shows, they're they're networked from London. If it's say like in Cap with Capital, the Vodafone Big Top Forty, or even when yes. Neil Fox did it, it was the Pepsi charts. Um, so, how was it with local stations? Would they compile their top forty? I, uh, do you know, I couldn't tell you how they compiled it, uh, but compile it they did. I just worked off the. Um, the sort of printout and and the papers I was I was given, they didn't want at Southern and Mercury, as far as I can recall, to be part of a commercial radio network chart show. They wanted to have their own one, and I'm sure, but I can't remember who it was sponsored, and that would have been part of the deal as well. So. How it was put together, Luke, I couldn't tell you. I just presented it. Well, maybe one thing um, you could tell me about working um, at Mercury was working with uh, many heritage names like Ed Stewart, um, Pat Sharp and Steve Highland. Yeah, Steve I didn't work with directly. Ed Stewart, of course, is Ed Stewart, um, no longer with us. And uh, he was, if you like, their, their sort of star turn there and um it was brilliant for him after the bbc to find someone that loved him and he was a lovely guy and he was a really good broadcaster and uh, they were very lucky to have him pat sharp um i'm still very friendly with to this very day and um our careers kind of went away from each other and then we came back together at Capital Radio, and I still keep in touch with him. In fact, him and Monica, I think, celebrated their 35th wedding anniversary recently. Who would have thought that Pat Sharp had been married for 35 years? 
But uh, he was a, Pat was a great guy as well. He, he genuinely is just a lovely human being. There's no airs, there's no graces. Uh, he is what you hear, 100%. He's a lovely bloke. Following the stint uh, with Mercury, uh, you get an offer for a gig in Finland. So what was this Finnish Radio 1 uh, gig like? Well, that was that was good. I was do- basically doing a new music show from the UK and I'd record it on quarter-inch tape, hour-long show, two hours, and courier it out to Helsinki. And then I'd go out there for a little while and, and do the show from out there and... Uh, uh, it, it, it was just an, in, I, I was quite interested in European radio and I met a couple of really interesting programmers out there who were trying to learn their trade. I was trying to learn mine. So it was, it was more of a life experience, but also to be given the chance to travel with the radio station to the Soviet Union, as it was then, Estonia, and uh, go on tour with Big Country. Um, I did a documentary with them. Uh, and that was all because of the connection with uh, Radio Ökenen or Radio Etan, because there's two languages in Finland, Finnish and Swedish, in that particular part of Finland, the south. And uh, I met a lot of wonderful people and I still keep in touch with them. And um, my time in uh, Suomi, uh, Finland, uh, w- was fantastic. But like all good things, it, it came to an end shortly after I went to Metro, actually. I just couldn't do it anymore, and uh, they were just getting more experienced and learning. And so we shook hands and said, thank you very much uh, for the experience. And they said, thank you very much indeed for your experience. And on they went. Okay, it's 18 minutes past one. Steve King is on a well-earned rest this afternoon, so I'm here with you until four. We have all the regular features. My name is Ross Williams. I'm not big, blonde, and beautiful like Samantha Fox. In fact, I'm short, fat, and fairly baldy. I'll tell you more about me a little bit later on, and hopefully I'll find out some more about you. Too. It was a mutual ending that um, you Metro were, Metro were calling you, and... Um, yes. So... Was it 1987 you come back to the UK and start? Yeah, 1987, was still working at at Southern. And uh, one day, out of the blue, literally out of the blue, I got a phone call. And um, the receptionist said, oh, there's a, a gentleman phoning for you, says he knows you. And I said, oh, right, okay. So I took the phone call. At the other end, it was, ah, Russ, you don't know me. Kyle Squire from Metro Radio. Just been sitting on the end of Brighton Pier listening to you. Wondered if you fancy a chat. So I took his number, uh, all very sort of undercover, and I phoned him back. And uh, the long and the short of it was, he said, look, we've got something exciting going on in Newcastle. It was a big city station. Um, He said, we'd like to fly you up and show you around thinking of the afternoon show for you, come up and meet me and Mick Johnson, who was the program director and, and see what you think. So they flew me up from Gatwick on Dan air, which no longer exists. That's how long ago it was folks. 
landed, taxi picked me up, and off I went to Swarwell, which was the headquarters of um, Metro Radio. Now, it wasn't very glamorous because it was next to a coal slag heap and a scrapyard, but it was big, and they had a canteen, and they had five or six studios, and there was lots of people running around, and the radio station sounded great. And so I was kind of seduced into thinking about it. They made me an offer. I said, "Mm, maybe a little bit more. So they said, okay, we'll pay you this. Go away and think about it and let us know within the next week. So I had left that morning my pretty much seafront flat in Brighton overlooking the English Channel, and the sun was twinkling on the waves, had a great lifestyle, flew back and really seriously thought about going to Metro. Slept on it, woke up in the morning, and I thought, you know what, in for a penny, in for a pound, go. So I told Rory, and uh, he said, no, 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 cock, you, I don't want you to go. I said, well, they've offered me more money, and it's a big station. He said, well, look, give me some time to think about it. He came back and offered me more money to stay, but it wasn't as much as them. Not that it made a difference, but it was nice that he tried to keep me. And I said, look, you've been unbelievably good to me. I've learned so much, but I I just feel as I've got to spread my wings. Didn't stand in my way. I worked my notice. Off I went to Newcastle, arrived, got a place um, in a shared house to live uh, live in that was absolutely fantastic fun. I think on the day I arrived, I had to do the northeast night shift, the overnight shift, to get used to the gear. And I think I did it for two nights. And then the following Monday, I went on to the afternoon show. And I stayed there for three years and and had a fantastic time working with Steve Coleman, Nikki Brown, Mark Goodyear, Alan Robson. Um, Tim Smith was up there for a while. David Prever. I mean, Giles got together a really good team of jocks, and it was number one in the Northeast. It was bigger than the old Radio One, so we were doing something right. And th- they were just unbelievable times. I'm so glad that I went. Tom Jones, and it's not unusual. The weather a little cloudy at the moment, but certainly better than yesterday when we had the thunderstorms in most parts of the region yesterday lunchtime. And I was going home about this time yesterday after doing the early show yesterday morning, and by about four feet, this bolt of lightning just missed me near where I live. I thought someone up there loves me. Unfortunately, we're not there another block of flats just around the corner, so it's bad luck to the folks there. It's Whitney Houston on More Music Metro, 126, and she's number one in the network chart too. And Metro being an, a massive heritage station and all those names uh, that you name drop there. Um, yes. I, I had Tim Smith on one of these podcasts a few weeks ago, and... Um, when, when we were talking about Metro, I had to ask him uh, what the Metro road shows were like. From your point of view, what were they like? I didn't do many of the road shows. What I did do was Mark Goodyear and myself, uh, we were like a double act who would go out at night promoting the station, earning some money, and performing in these theatrical fun bars of uh, silly games and goodies to give away. And, of course, Metro was so big Loads of these bar owners were asking us to go out and do gigs. Steve Coleman did them. Alan Robson did loads. 
I mean, it, it was like a mini version, if you like, of, of Radio One. And we had tremendous fun. I mean, there's certain stories I couldn't begin to share with you, uh, but we used to hang out at Duran Duran's bar in um, on the coast there at uh, Whitley Bay. And, oh, it, we had some great times. Uh, John Leslie was the DJ in the nightclub there. The, the um, what was it called? The night, I didn't go there very often. And that's the truth. Uh, but John, he, he was, he was the nightclub DJ. And then all of a sudden left and, so he said to me, I've got a job on the telly. I said, really? He said, yeah, I've been doing a bit of VJing for a music channel. He said, but I'm joining Blue Peter. Uh, but Newcastle itself is an unbelievable city. The people are fantastic. Um, if I went and lived in any other city in the UK, again, it would be out of choice, Newcastle. And the stuff I learned there from Giles Squires, Steve Martin, who was a senior producer, and just working with the other jocks, we all bounced off each other. It, it was really the, uh, the time of my life. It was absolutely fantastic. Mirage and Jack Mix too. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, where's Steve? Where is Steve King? Steve is having a day off today, and my name is Russ Williams. I'm at Metro's sort of new signing, and uh, I've come up to the northeast from Brighton on the south coast of England, and I've been here maybe three weeks, and I've been doing all sorts of strange programmes, and uh, this is the first one in the daytime, so hello from me to you. And uh, maybe you'd like to phone in for a dedication. Not now, please. A little later on. I'll give you the number just ahead of the 2 o'clock news, and the number will be the usual one, and we'll do all your dedications, hopefully, between 2 and 3 this afternoon. It's 22 minutes to 2. Well, good times indeed, and... um... Metro sounding like an enormous privilege as well to work. Yes, work absolutely. Um, and the 90s arrive um, and you make another big move into another big station. This time, I think many would call it the crown jewel of local radio. Uh, yeah. And that being Capital Radio. So how was it the Capital Dream came true? Well, I think put very simply, three reasons. Richard Park used to have a feed of all the radio stations in his house. So he could, when he got home, he could just tune in or record people. I mean, you know, it's pretty obsessive stuff, but that's Parky for you. David Jensen was hosting in Newcastle, a, a show called the Roxy, uh, which Tyne Tees put together. And he used to come up on the day that he was filming in the evening and present his capital radio show with his producer, from Metro. And I got to meet Dave. And uh, one day Dave said to me, he said, Hey, Russ, he said, do a great show. You should come down to London. And I said, well, that chance would be a fine thing. He said, I'll have a word. And Mark Goodyear was at Radio One and had worked with Richard Park at Radio Clyde. And he said, oh, I saw Richard. I put a word in for you. He absolutely knows who you are. And I never heard anything for months. I used to see kid quite a lot and he came up and he just said oh, hang on in there buddy you know da, da, da. and one day i got a phone call at home picked it up hello uh hi russ richard park here uh how would you like to come and play with the big boys and i said oh and he said um i want you to come to capital so went down to meet him uh walked into the Euston Tower where I'd previously sent a couple of demos off and been brutally rejected, um, but probably for the right reasons. And we walked along the Euston Road and we went to a little sort of tapas bar. 
And we sat down, we had some tap, and he was talking to me about his vision and da da da, and where he sees me, you know. And you know, you want to be a striker. I see you as a midfield player. Everything was related to football. And uh, Chris Tarrant is a great striker. You know, Foxy is in midfield. You want to be at that kind of level. Martin Collins is maybe a fullback, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of the meal, he tapped his pockets and he said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I seem to be financially embarrassed. So I ended up paying for the food. And um, and that was it. He said, look, uh, I'll get the contract sorted. Uh, he told me what I'd be paid. There wasn't any negotiation. He said, I want you to come and do the weekend breakfast show. He said, we need to get the figures up Saturday and Sunday. I duly did that over a period of three years and um, did an awful lot else besides and eventually, it was July 1990. Uh, forget the date, uh, but I did my first show on Capital Radio. And to walk up the spiral staircase at the old Euston Tower and to see the pictures of the people who worked there and had worked there, wow, it was mind-blowing. I was, I was taken aback. And going in there, July 1990, for your first ever show, what yes. was that like? Very, very nerve-wracking. But I got through it, played a fairly straight bat. I was very lucky that I had a great producer called Trevor White. Uh, Trevor was so good that when I went to Virgin, we poached him for the Russ and Jono show, and he was our producer for a good three years, a fantastic bloke. And, um, you know, Trevor would stand there and he'd have his pencil in his hand and he'd, yeah, 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 buddy, I, I think that was a good show. And as soon as I finished the show, Luke, the phone went, the hotline. <laughs> Trevor picked it up, Studio A. Okay, yeah, he's here, he's here. Put his hand up. He said, it's Richard for you, Richard Park. And Richard said to me, he said, uh, well, how do you think it went? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I think um, I think it was, yeah, quite a good show. He went, well, he said, um, I thought it was okay. Four runs, not six. I said, oh, I didn't score a goal. He said, yeah, boy, we're in the cricket season. Goodbye. And hung up. Foggy, I'm afraid, at the moment. 8 degrees, 46 Fahrenheit, the high this afternoon. A few gleams of sunshine on the way, filtering through, certainly later on this morning. Clouds gathering up again this afternoon. Rain setting in before it gets dark and staying rather cold. Tonight, wet at first, becoming mostly dry before the morning. And about 6 degrees, 43 Fahrenheit, the overnight low. More hits, more winners. Absolutely guaranteed. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. 95.8, London's number one. Capital FM. When you said war Walking up and seeing all these photos of yeah. uh, of the greats. Um, yes. Cap- and with Capital, I've got to ask, did you ever have the good fortune of meeting Kenny Everett? She had an office with him. That's how fortunate I was. For about nine months, Richard Allenson, Kenny Everett and me had the funniest times. Um, he was the loveliest of men. And um, I don't think... He was such a big fan of Richard Park, but he was Kenny Everett. He could do whatever he wanted to do. And occasionally, you know, uh, it, the programming office used to have to come down some stairs at the old Capitol, and it was a big sort of open plan area and then offices at the sides where the producers and the presenters had. And I was in one of those, 
And uh, Kenny frequently, uh, when he got out the side of his eye, he could see Richard coming down the stairs. Uh, he would get under the table and going, don't let the mad Scotsman see me. And I used to go, he's going to come in. And one day Richard popped his head around the door. He said, Ross, have you seen Kenny? I said, no, I haven't seen him at all. He was literally under my desk. And it was fun. Cleo Rocos used to come in all the time and sit in the office. And Kenny loved an Indian. He used to go to an Indian restaurant called the Lal Kila, uh, which is on Tottenham Court Road. And because he had a studio at home, he'd record the first five, six minutes of his show on one of these big cartridges. And he'd have it in his bag. And the waiter frequently would come up and say, Mr. Everett, five minutes to go until your show. And he said, oh, don't worry. Bring me the bill. And he'd literally time it, walk in, walk up the spiral staircase into the Capitol Gold studio. And as the news was coming to an end, he put the cart in. And that was all his jingles. And hello, it's Kenny Everett again. First six minutes was on tape. He was ahead of his time. But he was a lovely guy. The best bit of advice he ever gave me, Luke, was summer of 1990. It was boiling. It was in London. It was so hot. It was the World Cup summer, Italian 90. And uh, I walked from Highgate, where I lived, in about 35 degrees and arrived at the Euston Tower. And Kenny was in the office getting ready for his afternoon show. I think I was in doing promos or, I don't know, maybe recording something or just showing my face. And I walked in. I said, it's so hot out there. I said, I am absolutely boiling. And he said, well, you know what you want to do, darling, don't you? Put your trainers in the freezer overnight. Get them out in the morning. Your feet are cold all day. And it worked. Thanks, Ken. Well, here's me messing about. It's going to be very warm this afternoon with uh, quite a lot of Clyde rain. Just a 5 to 10% chance of a late afternoon shower or two. And top temperature 25 degrees at 77 in Old Money. Tonight's going to be a warm, dry one. Not uncomfortably warm, though. 16 degrees in town, 13 out in the sticks. And the outlook of Friday, warm with sunny spells. The Kenny Everett Show. It's impossible to have enough. Well, I've had enough. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I'm dying. At last, I've had enough. End of part one. And now... As well as that, you were also covering Tarrant for, for breakfast. and uh, Yes, I did. That, that must have been an enormous privilege as well. Yes, it was. I worked with Cara uh, quite a lot until one day, bizarrely, Richard said to me, Ross, don't let Cara speak. I said, well, that's a bit hard, Richard. She's doing the traffic news. No, no, don't speak to her. So I used to work with Russ Kane as well. It was Russ and Russ. You know, he's a bit of fan of Russ. He used to be up in the flying eye. And um, it was it was good fun to do. Uh, I don't think Chris minded me doing it, really, because I didn't really have ambitions to be Capital's breakfast DJ uh, at all. Uh, but I quite enjoyed working in the morning. And, of course, if you're asked by Richard Park, sitting for Chris Tarrant, um, you must be doing okay. And, of course, you know, joking aside, Richard, a fantastic radio programmer in commercial radio terms, if not in music radio terms, the best we've ever had. Um, unusual to work for at times, hard taskmaster, uh, but he knew how to get the best out of you. And uh, he gave me the opportunities at, at Capital. And um, once again, I'm forever grateful for that. And, um, you know, we got on 
fairly well until I uh, was poached by Virgin, and that didn't go down very well at all. No, but um, but before we come on to Virgin, um, in the three years you were with Capital, it, it has always sounded like a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. who's ever gone through those revolving doors. Um, what was your, did you ever have a favourite moment working there? Um, well, one or two favourite moments I can't even say on a podcast, uh, unfortunately. Um, in terms of doing the job itself, I, I love rock music. And I managed to uh, present a network rock show uh, produced at Capital for the whole of the commercial radio network uh, called the Rebel Yell Rock Machine. It was sponsored by Rebel Yell Bourbon. And Trevor White was the producer. We had a lot of fun doing that because we weren't governed by a playlist. Richard Park had a brilliant ear for music. He, He could pick the hits before the artist had almost recorded them. He was that good. Uh, but with rock music, I don't think it was necessarily uh, one of Richard's musical strong suits. But Trevor worked with Alan Fluff Freeman and knew all about rock music, was a huge fan. And so we had great fun doing that show. Uh, Help a London Child was always brilliant fun uh, to do as well. And also uh, getting to get out there and meet people. I mean, I, I went on tour with Deacon Blue for a while. I remember in Belfast, um, going over to interview them and see them play live with the record company for a, for a Capital Radio interview. And we stayed in the Europa Hotel. The gig was over, had a few drinks with them afterwards, did the interview, fantastic. Middle of the night, boom! It only turned out to be Europe's most bombed hotel. And uh, we were both, Deacon Blue and I, and, and the sort of record company entourage, quite fortunate to get out of there. So there were some hairy moments as well. I remember being on the air the night the Gulf War started. I was on the air at Capital Radio, both of them. I mean, there, there is beginning to be a theme here. The Brighton bomb, the Gulf Wars, 9-11 I was on the air for as well when that happened. So, uh, you know, those sort of events make the job different. Uh, because you can, when you're in music radio, you know, be faced with a lot of the same music over and over again. Um, but we used to try and make that come alive at Capital and uh, events, you know, um, often shaped what we did. But there was a load of road shows that we did, the Capital Rig. We used to go out to race courses and fun days and cricket matches. And, you know, they were so expertly sort of put together. Uh, the DJs, all they had to do was 45 minutes on the stage, play a few records, sign some autographs, uh, record a few bits and bobs. But everyone wanted to do them because we got out to meet the audience um, who used to think that we were sitting at the top of the Euston Tower. Well, we were on the first floor. Uh, we were nowhere near the top, but that's the theatre of the mind that is radio, I suppose. Change from Lisa Stansfield, line 63, with a little bit of a cough there, Tracy Byrne from Penn. Hi, Tracy. Hi. 
Hi. How, were you coughing there? You said <laughs> you, you, were, you were giggling or coughing or something. Just all the excitement <laughs> at this time in the morning, you know? Oh, well, I do like to excite people at this time in the morning, as you know, Tracy. Um, are you up and about because you're off to a market where you're going to visit somebody, you're going away for a day, or are you up doing housework or what? You must be joking. I'm working. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, well, that down. Where do you work? I work for the um, Jet Fall Check-In at Victoria Station. Really? Mm -hmm. And you, you blast us out there in the office? Sorry? You blast at capital FM out in yeah, the office, Yeah, from morning to night. Oh, <laughs> God. Is it, is it a bit choppy this weekend, going over all Well, actually, no, it's quite calm today. Mm, yeah, I, I used to work on the ferries years ago, and it used to be awful when uh, when it was choppy and rough because people were ill and uh, it was I won't tell you what we did actually to sort of battle against that but uh, I'm sure you can imagine actually but yeah. there was a lot of lying down on the bulkheads <laughs> and what have you anyway it's very nice to speak to you and it's you Chris Rear weekend are you a big fan? I am yeah and you haven't got tickets for the gigs at Wembley? Not at the moment. Well, but you might have in a minute because here comes the clip. So, 1993 arrives. Um, Richard Branson is starting up a new radio station. And yes. uh, you are part of that launch team. So how was it Virgin started? Well, for me, uh, Andrew Marshall, who'd been at Radio Mercury, phoned me up and he said, look, John Amonier and I have been asked by Richard Branson to book together Virgin Radio. We're based in Camden at the old TVAM studios. Uh, so David Frost is involved, blah, 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 blah. Uh, would you like to come and have a chat? So I went and met Andrew. And uh, he said, well, very interested in, in getting you. You know, would you leave Capital? And I said, depends. We didn't talk about uh, a shift, a show. Uh, but I had a sense at Capital that, you know, I probably wasn't going to get a daytime show anytime soon. And faced with the prospect of maybe getting one, particularly on Virgin, even though it was only going to be on medium wave, um, was quite appealing. So I kept it under my hat. And sure enough, Andrew Marshall and John Monnier, not long afterwards, had completely disappeared, were no longer part of Virgin. And uh, Richard Branson appointed a guy called David Campbell to take it over, who he brought in from uh, working in America for PepsiCo. And John Revel, who was a friend of Chris Evans and had been working at Radio London with Richard Skinner, and Richard Skinner was involved. And um, one day I was at home in Highgate. The phone went again. And... Um, the voice on the other end said, Russ, you don't know me, but I know you. Laugh. He said, it's John Revel. Um, there's been a few changes at Virgin Radio. Uh, Andrew Marshall and John Monnier are not involved anymore. Richard Skinner and myself are going to be the programme directors. And uh, David Campbell is going to be the chief executive. We know that you were talking to them. Would you like to come and speak to us? So I ended up at Rush's uh, production house in, uh, I think it's Brewer Street in Soho, going up to the top floor. And there, like Buddha behind the desk, was David Campbell and Richard Skinner and John Revel. And uh, they said, look, we want you to come and join. How does the afternoon show sound? One to four. And I said, well, I like the sound of it. I said, I've now got an agent who was the same agent as Pat Sharp, Michael Cohen, and he's still my agent to this day. And uh, I said, can I inform him and you can get chatting? So the deal was done. Uh, I agonised whether I was going to leave Capital because, as you said, Luke, you know, it was a jewel in the crown. I mean, are you nuts? Uh, 
But I thought sometimes in life you have to take a chance. Occasionally it'll work, occasionally it won't. Uh, and so I decided I was going to go. I told Richard, and he was not best pleased at all. That's a polite way of putting it. And uh, I said, well, look, I want to think about it. I've been offered the position. He said, well, I want to know. I want to know. I said, can you give me a couple of days? Anyway, after 24 hours, he phoned up and he said, well, it's obvious you're going. And I said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I think I have decided to go. I mean, that kind of attitude didn't help me want to stay at Capital, but they really impressed me at Virgin. And uh, he said, well, you can come and clear out your desk between the hours of 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. And uh, that's it. And uh, they capital honoured my contract. I went on gardening leave for about two and a half months. Uh, so I went on holiday and then was involved in the pre-launch and all the build-up for Virgin Radio. Uh, before the 30th of April, 93, we went on the air. And I was at the centre with Richard Branson that day. Uh, we launched it in Manchester, flew down the country in a helicopter, stopping off in Cardiff, where I know you're very familiar with, Luke, because you live there. Bristol, Liverpool, Newcastle, Edinburgh, uh, London. And it was just one of those days that you could never buy, even with a lottery ticket. Uh, and it was exciting. You know, Virgin Radio was billed as the radio revolution. And it did make me laugh about Richard Skinner and, and John had a meeting with all the record companies, all the pluggers were there in a room. And, you know, they said, you know, we want to play the music that radio one and radio two and capital ignore. This is the radio revolution. Well, uh, the music revolution lasted about three months because it was pretty eclectic. Some of it, eventually the music policy was changed. The first set of audience figures came in and they weren't brilliant. David Campbell um, said to me, I was doing the breakfast show. Um, originally, it was Mitch Johnson, but one day they, they'd had a rethink and Revel had phoned me up and John said, have you got an alarm clock? And I said, what are you trying to say? He said, can you do the breakfast show instead? I said, yeah, sure. So Chris Watmo was my producer, God rest his soul, no longer with us. And he was great. And I did it for three, six months. And it's difficult, Luke, on your own is very hard to do a breakfast show. Look at Steve Wright at Radio One, trying to do a breakfast show on his own. It is hard. Every successful breakfast show that you hear on the radio today, Zoe Ball, team of people, Chris Evans, team of people, you know, Roman Kemp at Capital, surrounded by people. Put them in a room on their own is a completely different proposition. And there's a reason for that. It's really hard to do it on your own. So, um, and that's throughout history. Chris Tarrant always had Cara Noble and Russ Kane and the Flying Eye. And they, they would all openly tell you that the other people in the studio make a really good contribution to the show. But to think you can sit there and do a national radio breakfast show on your own with one producer and a few competitions is, is clueless if, if you think that's possible. So John said to me, Jonathan Coleman is on in the evenings. I think that you and him would get on really well. And we met each other, uh, station dues. Do you fancy giving it a crack? You and Jono doing the breakfast show. So I said, yeah, I want this to be a success. I believed in Virgin Radio and what it stood for and what it was trying to achieve. And I knew that the opposition, although good, wasn't impregnable in terms of 
um, audiences. So John and myself, I think, started in the spring of 93, and we lasted for the best part of five years in what was undoubtedly the most fun and rewarding time of my radio career in music radio, no doubt. Something has just been thrust in my what hand. It? What? It's a bit of paper. If you're a fan of the Sex Pistols, we've got a gig to tell you about after 8 o'clock. Exclusive. And we've got free tickets to give away. It's a Russ and Jono Presents, isn't it? It is. We've moved into the gig business. 7.16, traffic news. <laughs> what, what were those shows like? Because Jono sadly passed away last year. Yes. And, yeah. Um, you, you were... Terrible. Te- absolutely. But, I mean... You, you were you you were close you were close to the man. What was it like to work with uh, John O'Coleman? Well, you you soon realised that he was a loose cannon in many ways, but he was a loose cannon that if he trusted you, he would let you push the cannon in a certain direction and also bring your own cannon without feeling threatened, and that is how it worked. Uh, we never fell out. We never had an argument. People, when we first started, they, they sounded as though they don't like each other. Absolute nonsense. We loved each other. And we just developed the show as time went by and more and more people tuned in. We were doing unbelievably well on AM only, medium wave, no FM. And then somehow Virgin got an FM license. And as soon as we were on FM in London, well, the war the radio wars were well and truly on and we acquitted ourselves very well because we were just a couple of blokes who'd talk about stuff. We would take the mickey out of each other and ourselves. And we come up with features that were easy to understand stroke, pointlessly stupid. But I think we just caught the mood of the time that, Britain was changing a bit in the early 90s. You know, we had the Conservative government on the way out. We had Tony Blair coming in. There was a sea change in the way the public were looking aspirationally at their lives. Britpop turned up. Branson was a hero. The Virgin brand was very strong. And we hitched a ride on on all of those things, not deliberately often, but as it turned out, it might have looked deliberately. Uh, But we had... Unbelievable times. We would turn up in the morning, feeling tired when we walked in the building, but as soon as we, you know, first record in, off we went and uh, full steam ahead until 10 o'clock. Wake up, boo. Wake up, Wake up boo. Oi. Oh, almost 7.30. Dial a one here in 45 minutes. This is the phrase. If your telephone rings, you can win thousands of Australian dollars with Castlemaine 4X, or maybe even if you hear the voice go, the missing X. Then you can get a trip to the beautiful Ooh. Gold Coast up there in Ooh. Queensland. See all those men with white shoes and meet the meter maid to put the money in your meters so you never get booked by the police on the Gold Coast. Fantastic. Miles and miles of beaches. Lots of Japanese people going, could you show me the way to Jupiter Casino, please? <laughs> um, here is the phrase that pays. It is, yes, the royal divorce is settled. Charles keeps the house. Die gets the quids. 17 million of them. Yes, the royal divorce is settled. Charles keeps the house. Die gets the quids. That's what you have to say at 8.15. You could win lots of money and some marvellous prizes. And don't forget, David Coulthard is in grid position. He's standing by and we'll be talking to him around about, well, after 8 o'clock sometime. So stick yes. around. 7.30, news and sport time. And um, in isn't it then, because um, you, you were both doing breakfast and then you uh, both moved to drive when... Um, they managed to poach Chris Evans. Uh, yes. I mean, that was a bit of a stitch up, really, but they stuck by us of sorts. 
there was a deal done. We, we'd done about four and a half years on breakfast. Chris Evans was uh, the biggest media star by none in the United Kingdom in those days. I mean, he's still pretty big now. And there was a Soho lunch drink deal done because he'd left Radio 1 because he didn't want to work on Fridays. Michael Foster, his agent, and Chris obviously positioned themselves. Well, you know, Virgin, Richard, Richard, Richard loved famous celebrities. He was very good to us, by the way, as well. And one day, we for the final six, nine months of our show, we did it in front of a live audience, a whole breakfast show. So one day, we'd have an audience of doctors, another day, an audience of plumbers. And the idea was that we'd go around in between the records, talk to them, they'd tell funny stories about their jobs, and we'd, you know, do competitions with them. And I suppose it was a good extension of the show. I've got to tell you, it's very hard to do in front of a live audience, three and a half hours every day. And one day, I think we just had the cast of the bill on. John Pearson, who was the boss then, came down. He said, "Can you, lads, can you come up and see me in the office? I need to have a word with you. So we said, yes. We got in the lift after the show, went up, and he said, right. He said, um, Chris Evans starts on the breakfast show week on Monday. But we're not firing you. We're not firing you. Uh, we want you to do drive time. Um, let, you have to make a decision now. Let us know how you feel. So uh, the die was cast. I mean, we were, we were disappointed, but I understood it. I think I understood it a little more than Jonathan. Um, in fact, I know that to be the case. Uh, he was a lot more upset about it than I was. So cut a long story short, Chris came in, uh, you know, we love Ross and Jono, they're virgin. He was going, yes, they're on drive time. Uh, we did three months and it wasn't the same. Jono um, had irritated Chris uh, previously. Jono and I had different lengths of contract. Jono's uh, finished six months before mine did. Uh, because he had an elderly mum, Sylve, who was in Australia, and didn't always want to c commit without, if something happened, being able to go back maybe permanently with an elderly parent. Um, and it was decided when Jono went to Australia that Christmas, he used to go for a month, they said to me, uh, you're not going to take a month off, are you? I said, no, no. And they said, well, look, uh, so-and-so's away from the mid-morning show, Russ. Can you go on the mid-morning show um, from the middle to the end of January, and then, you know, we'll see what's going to happen. As it turned out, they'd already said to Jono, we are not, when I had that conversation, we're not renewing your contract. It's all over. Chris doesn't want you on the station. Well, it wasn't Chris's station to say that, actually. That was to come later. Uh, but anyway, the management decided whether they were influenced by anybody, I don't know. And then they came to me. And they said, we want you to stay on mid-mornings. Are you happy with that? Uh, and I said, well, I've got six months of a contract to go. And they said, if you want to leave, you can leave. But it seems a bit stupid. So I did the mid-morning show. Jono ended up at heart eventually. And it's difficult times when you split up, you know, because he was spurned and I was staying there. And people thought that I dumped him. I just had a longer contract and, you know, call me old fashioned. I honor contracts 
and I expect them to be honoured. So it works both ways. Um, so anyway, uh, relations between me and Jono were difficult for probably six months to a year. Once he got on to heart, you know, it wasn't we, we didn't talk to each other, but we weren't as warm as we once were. It's difficult to be that way. It's a radio divorce forced by somebody else or other people. And I stayed on the mid-morning show for 17 years. 10.15, Tuesday morning, Russ Williams here. Thank you to Daryl Denham for another Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. The Double D, back tomorrow, 6 o'clock in the morning. How he gets up that early, I don't know. Well, once I did, but I, I, of course I could possibly do it again. R.E.M., you two, and Mrs. Ritchie, a beautiful stranger, and now some Travis at Virgin Radio. And in those 17 years, um, I mean, you... you you saw it all. You saw, as you, as you mentioned, Chris Evans yep. um, being sacked from Virgin um, ev- eventually. And then as well in 2009, Virgin is changed to absolute. And um, you, you, were, you were there when it happened. When was the first you heard about Virgin wouldn't exist come the end of 2009? Um, I think there was a lot of rumours um... Christian O'Connell always seemed to have his ear close to the ground. He was doing the breakfast show um, and a very good one as well. Um, and I was on after him and I'm hearing this, I'm hearing that, but nothing was concrete, but we knew um, that the Scottish SMG, the Scottish media group uh, wanted to sell it all those years ago. And, you know, they hung on and hung on and hung on. They were the ones who gave Chris, if you remember rightly, they bought it off Chris when Chris wanted to sell. Um, and they were lovely guys. They were just naive about radio. Uh, and they were really nice to work for. Um, but I think uh, Donald and Andrew Flanagan, uh, who were who were the driving forces behind it, decided that, for SMG, you know, their currency really was television. That's the way that they wanted to go back on that road. And so Times of India turned up uh, with Clive Dickens as as a sort of figurehead um, for this new radio station that didn't actually have a name. Um, So I'm guessing it would have been around about late, autumn 09 that I would have found out. And of course it was a formal announcement. Uh, Times of India were taking over and Clive Dickens uh, and Donico Driscoll were going to be principally the management team. And um, it was the beginning of a very interesting period at Golden Square, that's for sure. GMT and kids at uh, Absolute Radio. Half past 12, Russ Williams here. Uh, Mark Crossley, Cindy and for Nick, coming up at one o'clock. Jeff and Annabelle and the Home Time Show at five o'clock. Sarah Champion will be doing Mark's bit tonight from eight. Ian Lee at 11 o'clock. Haven't heard it for ages. For Garen Sh- or Gavin Sharpley from Halsden. Thank you, Gavin, for getting in touch. Joe Jackson, it's different for girls coming up. And if you give me a ring, Gav, on 0330-123-1215, we'll arrange to send you a brand new DAB digital radio, because that's what we do if we play your Haven't Heard It For Ages. So the 23 years you were with Virgin and Absolute, um, and working for both has always seemed like a, 
again, a, a huge privilege. And, you know, being there from the beginning and seeing names like Chris Evans, Gary Davis uh, and Fluff Freeman, um, yes. and then um, going towards near the end and seeing um, other, you know, newer jocks come through like Claire Sturges and um, yeah. e- even someone and also someone like Polly James as well. Yes, um, what, absolutely. What was your highlight working with both Virgin and Absolute? Just staying on the show for all that time and being trusted to do a job for them. And funnily enough, um, the last three Rajar books that I had, and uh, I don't think Rajar is the be all and end all now because listening has changed and they've got to find a way of taking that into account where it counts. Um, I delivered record figures for three consecutive quarters before I left in the uh, May of, of 2015. They treated me with absolute respect, and I did them. Um, but I think one of the highlights for me, obviously, Russ and Jono was huge. Rock and roll football that I did for eight years with Ian Wright, Jim Proudfoot, uh, Ian Stone occasionally, uh, you know, just being able to talk about something that I love, the game of football, and then to be able every Saturday to present a live Premier League game and all the build-up and get involved with the phone-in afterwards. Um, that was absolutely fantastic for me because I'd flirted um with sports broadcasting on the radio. And I'd done it on the television for Sky Sports lots. When I was at Capital with Jonathan Pierce, Capital Gold Sport, and Pete Simmons, who was uh, like the chief producer, and Rob Watton was there and all those guys. Uh, and also with Jonathan Pierce in the 80s at Southern Sound. He turned up from Radio West and was our head of sport assisted by Tony Millard and Jonathan Pierce used to live in a camper van in the car park at the back of Southern Sound. I know when I did the breakfast show, I used to have to go and wake him up to get up and come in and do the sports bulletin. You know, he liked a Guinness or two, did Jonathan. So my flirtation with sport became uh, really serious when I did it for Sky Sports. I hosted lots of football for them and boxing and the footballers football show and soccer AM. I did the first two seasons of that Sunday mornings with Brian will know all unbelievable opportunities for me, but on the radio rock and roll football uh, was so enjoyable because I worked with Ian Wright, who I love and Jim Proudfoot, who I think literally is the, is the best radio commentator that we've got. And Paul Sylvester and Clive put that together, took a chance. And that's what absolute was all about digitally challenging the audience. Clive knew all about that and was a genius at it. Paul has taken that forward with Tony Maury at Bauer. Uh, But just to say, hey, we'll have some Premier League football. Over at Talk Sport, they went, wow, what are they up to? And, you know, they were in trouble on a Saturday afternoon. They didn't have any live football. Peter and Buck Rogers at Absolute Radio. And well done to uh, Gavin Sharpley from Luton. Just phone me up. We've got a brand new Pure Me DAB digital radio. Another one coming up with Mark. Haven't done it for ages. Around about half past one. Uh, this summer, we've got together with Microsoft Office. 
and we're giving away, listen to this, £10,000 to one lucky primary or secondary school to spend on computer equipment. All you've got to do is tell us the name of the school that you would like to win the cash. You can do it online at absoluteradio.co.uk. It's as simple as that. And whilst you're there, you'll be able to get details on our summer project competition. It's open right now for all 10 to 18-year-olds. Sunday, the day of rest. But in March 2016... Um, Global hire you to take on breakfast on Smooth Radio. Now, Smooth um, is a station that I listen to religiously. um, I mean, you mentioned about when you started at Virgin, you couldn't present breakfast on your own. And this was, again, a one-man show with with breakfast. How did the breakfast gig come about? Um, I had a few months off because my mum who's no longer with us. Uh, she passed away, uh, funny enough, three weeks before the first lockdown, so two years ago. Um, she was developing, uh, we didn't realise it at the time, Alzheimer's. And so this break from Absolute, because I, I'm, I left Absolute, hand on heart, this is the truth, I just said to them, I need to go and do something else. You know, I can't do any more for you. Um, for six months, I worked there before they even announced that I was leaving. They were that good to me. So they had plenty of opportunity to get their ducks in a row. When I left, um, deliberately didn't do anything. I was looking after my mum. And, you know, after doing it for 30-odd years, getting up at 4.35 in the morning and driving into London, even for the 10 o'clock Absolute and Virgin show to beat the traffic, you know, you have a bit of a rest. <clears throat> so that happened. Um, and Richard Park, here he comes again, uh, was talking to my agent and um, phoned him up one day and he said, look, let's have a meeting uh, about Russ because I'd like him to come to Global. Uh, I'd like him to come to Smooth. And if he wants to do some football, he can do it at LBC. So we met at the Langham Hotel, opposite the BBC. Normally with Richard, the meetings are 25 minutes and he's off two hours later. It was really good to see him. I hadn't sat down and had a long, long conversation with him in a sort of social scenario with a bit of business for many years. And um, he said to me, right, I want you to come to Smooth. I think you do a great job for us. You can have any show that you want, but I want you to do breakfast. So I said, okay, I've done it before. He said, I think it'd be great on the breakfast show, blah, blah, blah. And uh, LBC, I want you to do the football on a Saturday afternoon. So I said, oh, that sounds good. So went away, chatted, deal was agreed. And um, I turned up there, as you say, in the spring of 2016, flying solo. Well, 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 6.13 on Smooth Breakfast, Frida Payne and Band of Gold, and uh, three terrific songs to start the show. Uh, Russ Williams here with the breakfast show, and it's a funny old day because either you've woken up because you normally wake up at this time and have suddenly realised this is the best position to be in, that it's actually the Easter holiday, so you don't have to go to work, or you have got to go to work, but the good news is it's a four-day week, which 
we kind of like. So uh, uh, we'll celebrate the fact that we've got a short working week anyway. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, at Smooth London is our Twitter feed. Uh, we had uh, Storm Katie, although for people who lived on the Isle of Wight over the weekend, winds of 106 miles an hour is more like a hurricane. And the papers, uh, and if you go online as well, full of stuff, horrendous pictures of squashed cars and bent cranes in Greenwich and uh, uh, photographs from the needles in the Isle of Wight where they had those really strong winds. You can send us some pictures if you had some modest damage at your property. Uh, also, tell us what you thought of the all-time top 500. It was a brilliant listen yesterday. And just after 8 o'clock, we are going to celebrate the top three as chosen by you. So stick around for that. We have some traffic news on the way. And then Neil Diamond and Lionel Richie. What a double. Line solo indeed, and uh, taken over from Andrew Castle, if uh, if yes. I remember, uh, yes. who interestingly had taken over from Simon Bates. <laughs> I know how weird. How funny old world, eh? Funny old world, yes. And um, you also mentioned doing the odd shift with LBC, another heritage station. Yes. What 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 was that also like at LBC? LBC was great. James Rear was the boss. Uh, Tom was his deputy, who's now running LBC, and they were brilliant to me. Um, they wanted a fast-paced goal show, and um, I think that's what they got. And I must say, I absolutely loved it. And um, so two years with Smooth doing breakfast. Yes. I mean, it, Smooth was difficult. Yeah. Not to do the show. I actually quite enjoyed doing the show. Because they wanted the show to be smooth, but to have a little bit more on top, a, a bit of content in there occasionally and what have you. I did that. Now, you diehard smooth fans who just want that was, this is, maybe, may not have liked it. But I can tell you that the audience did like it. And I think I'm right in saying, certainly up until about a year ago, in London, nobody had beaten my breakfast figures on smooth. Nobody. I I liked it. Yeah, I think a lot of people liked it. Richard Park is a supporter of mine as a broadcaster because he's hired me and, um, you know, once, twice. Um, I'm I'm not sure whether other people whispering in his ear had any effect. It's just a gut feeling. Um, You know, there there was a lot of people in his regime, who were very keen to just say, yes, Richard, yes, Richard, yes, Richard. And usually he was right, but occasionally he was probably wrong. And they were arming and arring about, oh, we're not sure whether we want to carry on with breakfast. In the end, I just said, well, if you're not sure, it means you don't really want me to, and I don't really want to either. And actually, there was no attempt at a negotiation. I got the impression they didn't really want me or like me doing that show for whatever reason. I did ask the program director at the time after I left, you know, well, might as well spoke to a brick wall. I didn't get an answer. You know, some people don't want to tell you why they engineered things to happen. Maybe I don't know. Um, but I had a great time now. I worked with some wonderful people, Kate Garraway, who I love the pieces, Paul Fear, Gary King, uh, Tina Hobley, uh, all the producers. I had a great producer, Dave. Uh, I mean, 
the people were just great and smooth. Real, and they're doing great shows today. Um, it didn't work out for me. I'm still glad I went there because sometimes you have to take another chance and occasionally it doesn't work out for you. Um, but I've no reason to, I, I, I genuinely don't know, Luke, why all of a sudden from being red hot on me, uh, it was decided by minds immeasurably superior to mine, why it may not be the right way for them to go. And do you know what? To be truthful, they have the right to do that. And so, uh, but I'm still friendly with James Rear, who's now the big boss. Uh, and all the people at Global got the greatest of respect for them. Andrew Castle, I'm, you know, uh, whenever I see him, Nick Ferrari is a friend of mine. Uh, I think Global are great. I think Bauer are great. Will I ever work for one of them again? Highly unlikely, I would have thought. Not because I'm, I'm going to be difficult. I, do, I just don't think that it's likely that I will. But I'm glad that I had the opportunity to. Lionel Richie at 6.26 and My Destiny at uh, London's most relaxing music mix. And uh, I am aware that, you know, Andrew Castle has been here doing the show for a couple of years. And it's a bit like, you know, Andrew was a lovely bit of wallpaper that you really liked. And then all of a sudden, we force some new wallpaper on you, which is me. And hopefully over time, uh, I know that I'll like you, that you'll get used to me being here. And it's very difficult to compete with Andrew. He sent me uh, uh, a lovely couple of messages last week wishing me all the best. And, uh, you know, if he played me at tennis, for example, ha, no chance. If he played me at golf, because he's got that superb hand-eye coordination, and I'm, I'm a reasonable golfer, not a brilliant golfer, but a reasonable one, he'd still give me a hell of a thrashing but what we share is a love of the fantastic music that we play here on smooth radio and andrew of course is going to be here on sunday once again uh with his special show the great american storybook and uh, some brilliant artists over the last couple of weeks this week it's going to feature four hours of marvin gay now it could be me but I reckon they could extend that to eight hours easily with a fantastic Marvin Gaye. But Andy is going to be here this coming Sunday. It is time to wake up. If your clock says 5.27, you forgot to change the clocks at the weekend. It is 6.27 and 32 seconds precisely. Fleetwood Mac. So uh, since leaving Global, you've done um, bits for other um, big stations, including, it must be said, a lot of work for TalkSport. Yes, well, sport is a real love of mine. And um, I'd worked for Talk Sport when I was a virgin. And when a new regime came in a virgin, it might have been when Clive came in, I'm not sure. Uh, there wasn't a keenness to let me carry on working at Talk Sport as well. And also, he might have had an idea if it was Clive, sorry if it wasn't me, um, that he was going to get some sport and probably have me in mind for it. I don't know. Uh, but I managed to go back there. I, I, I remember I sent a text to Mike Beauville, who was uh, an old newsreader when I worked there back in the day. And uh, I just said, how you doing, Mike? I said, I'm around if you've got any uh, shifts. Oh, yeah, da, da, da. Uh, come and do uh, a couple of shows for us. And it, I, I, I stayed there for three seasons doing predominantly football, but also doing interviews and afternoon shows, a lot on TalkSport too, quite a lot of cover. 
on Talk Sport. And I, re- I really enjoyed it. I'm still involved with them doing a boxing series with Spencer Oliver that's called Fight of My Life. We're about to start recording series four. Uh, if the listeners haven't heard it before, maybe you, Luke. Uh, we sit down with a boxer and they go through the seminal fight of their career, good, bad or indifferent. And we've interviewed, you name it, we've interviewed them so far. Carl Froch, Chris Eubank, Nigel Ben, Duke McKenzie. The list goes on and on and on. And you'll find them, uh, they're out as podcasts uh, via the TalkSport app. And it's a great show to do. And Spencer, of course, former professional boxer. So I'm doing that. The football side of things, it's quite interesting now. Um the way the wind blows in in the industry and um you know the wind blew many many years ago when it blew me in uh and you know for which i'm ever so grateful and the next generation continue to come through and uh i i wish them well but outside of the boxing you never say never uh, but I, I don't think I'll be doing any more uh, football or rugby for them, which is a shame because I, I used to love hosting the uh, Gallagher Premiership Rugby and Rugby League. But, you know, horses for courses, they're train set. Absolutely. And um, I got to, has Frank Bruno been on one of them yet? Yes, we did, Frank, during lockdown, funny oh. enough. Uh, and we had to do them like this. Uh, we're talking on Zoom. And uh, uh, I was wearing my glasses like this, and uh, he kept calling me Clark Kent. Uh, 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 Clark Kent, you know. Uh, but once we we edited all that out, it was quite a decent show. But he's a lovely guy. One of the best ones that we did, I'll just mention it, is Michael Watson, who uh, was very badly injured uh, in a boxing bout. And, uh, wow, what an interview he did with us and what an amazing man. So you had talk sport, um, and then uh, as well as that, you um, did shows for Fix Radio, in, including being reunited with Jono. Um. Yes, we did the Russ and Jono show for about a year, and he was in Australia. IDTPL, what a great bit of kit. Uh, and I was in the studios in London, and we used to pre-record uh, the shows in one session. So a one-hour show, we used to do five hours' worth of shows in one session, uh, and Jono was in Australia, and he loved doing the show. And uh, we also did the Russ and Jono podcast as well, Russ and Jono Rebooted, uh, which I wish we'd have done some more, but Jono's health was beginning to cause him some issues, and uh, we never quite got round to it, so it was a bit of a regret. But I'm glad that we managed to uh, work at Fix, and thank you to Graham Mack, uh, for coming up with a suggestion and making it happen. But January of 2021, uh, you're back in your old slot of mid-mornings. Uh, yes. Nation Radio UK. Yes. Um, this was a curious thing that happened. Jason Bryant, who I knew from Talk Sport, Talk Radio days, uh, now, of course, the owner of Nation, I'd sent him an email about me and John. I was saying, look, you know, what do you reckon? He said, I'm interested. I've got something up my sleeve. I'm interested. Didn't hear anything for six months. And he phoned me up and he said, uh, got this uh, idea for a station and I'd love you to be on it. And I said, well, what is it? He said, well, Mike Reed signed up. Dr. Fox has signed up. I think Neil Francis is going to sign up and I want you to do mid mornings. And we're calling it Nation Radio UK. He said, let's just get it on the air and see what happens. So uh, I said, well, that's great. 
And uh, he said, you can do it from home, which was handy because of lockdown. So like you, Luke, I've got a Rodecaster Pro uh, and I've got my own studio set up and I use Zeta, uh, RCS Zeta to go. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. And I absolutely love doing the show because I can do my own little features. I can pick the music within the format of the station, of course. And um, I even uh, have doffed my cap recently in the last three or four months to Jono. Um, we used to do a feature called Sad But True over this sort of violin music, uh, just funny, sad stories from around the world. So I've started doing that as one of my little features occasionally on the morning show, uh, because I, I did think it's a year since he passed away and I, I wanted to do something just to uh, remember him. Um, but um, yeah, and Nation is a, a very interesting project. I think uh, not only UK, they're, they're quite a go-ahead thinking company. I mean, I read these forums occasionally, people are quite dismissive about Nation. Well, uh, you know, maybe soon there won't be, because uh, there's a few things happening. And, um, you know, they're very big in Wales, as you as you know, and in Scotland, they're really big in the central belt. They're on DAB and FM. Nation Radio UK, despite propaganda from elsewhere, is growing, albeit slowly, but it keeps growing week on week on week. And uh, there's no point shooting up, is there, for the stars? And then after a week, all your listeners are gone. You've got to be consistent. You've got to look after them, give them what they want. Um, and I hope that we're we're doing that. We've got a good lineup. We've got Foxy at breakfast. We've got me. I'm okay. Tony Dibbin in the afternoon. Neil Francis at drive time. Dean Martin in the evening. And then at 10 o'clock, we uh, just give uh, everyone a bit of romance with Love Nation. Adam English has joined us at the weekends. So, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day or Nation wasn't built in a day, but we are getting there. But there are some plans afoot, and very shortly people will find out about it. Joe Jackson and Stepping Out Nation Radio UK. Russ Williams in the morning. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend. Get your family members tuned in, workmates and what have you. And we'd love you to interact with us. It's a very easy thing to do. Twitter's a great place to do it, at Nation Radio UK. Simple as that. You go on Facebook, Nation Radio. We've got our very own page. Leave us a message on there and we'll be in touch. But we know that you're listening and we know that you're listening more and more. Just make sure that you spread the word. That's all we ask you to do on this Friday morning. Roxette, another one of the world's greatest songs at Nation Radio UK. And listen to your heart. Well, um, I, 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 we'll leave we'll leave those plans for um, for future for future. Yes. Yeah. But um, in the forty years of radio you've done, what advice would you give to anyone who's trying to make it into the business? Always be yourself. Always take advice. And always trust your gut instinct. Those would be my three bits of advice, Luke. Fantastic. And finally, Russ, I have to ask you, who is your radio great? My radio great. Well, there's so many people I admire on the radio. I almost feel guilty picking one out. I would say the one radio presenter that I always remember listening to and being so impressed by uh, their avuncular style, sense of humour, appreciation of the of the music. And I saw them uh, with the Radio 1 Roadshow a couple of times, uh, once when they actually got stung by a bee in their throat before they went on the air uh, and were literally 
this is a true story, literally putting a mouthful of ice while the records were playing so the swelling would go down and finish the show. A son of a circus performer and entertainer, I'm going to pick out Paul Burnett uh, from the early days of Radio 1. Uh, but th- there's so many broadcasters. Steve Wright's a fantastic broadcaster. Bates was a great broadcaster. Uh, Nicky Campbell's a great speech broadcaster. I enjoy listening to uh, Nick Ferrari. I enjoy listening to Paul Fears. Great at playing that s- slow, um, you know, smooth type music. Is absolutely perfect for it. Chris Moyles, who's a friend of mine, I think he's sensational still on the radio. Uh, Evans is a great broadcaster. And a lot of these people I've had the pleasure to have been touched by their greatness and being in their company and and learning and sharing things with them. Christian O'Connell is is a really good broadcaster as well. Uh, there's loads I've left out. Uh, but Paul Burnett, I think, was one of the people who made me want to have a go at doing it. And he's a, he's a great guy as well. Well, Russ Williams... Thank you ever so much for joining me on this edition of Radio Greats today. Luke, it's been an absolute pleasure. Winner number two this morning on Capital Breakfast, Stainsby Girls. The answer, Chris Rear, Chris Weir, Weekend. Tracy Byrne from Penge, working at Victoria. The old ferry company, another Capital winner. Signed copy of the album, Auberge. Tickets to see Chris at Wembley, and she's in the draw for the weekend in Paris. Russ Williams. Bonjour, quarter to eight. Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke.